Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. We saw Darkest Hour. Yes, we saw it yesterday. Um, so, um, and I, I wonder if this has an impact, actually, um, you know, for better and worse. Um, did you find yourself thinking about the film at all? Um, in, in the day since? Yes. Um, tiny bit, just insofar as I, th- I, I, I was thinking about it in the car on the way here, and I just thought, you know what, I bet Nigel Farage really loves this film. It's a real Brexiters film. Mm. You know, uh, it feels very jingoistic. Yeah, it, it kind of does to me, to be honest. Um, it shows Churchill's kind of first weeks um, uh, as Prime Minister. Yes. So the war's broken out, people are, or well, Parliament is dissatisfied with Chamberlain, he's been appeasing, he's, he, he's weak. And he's left the country unprepared for war. Yeah. Um, and so he's pressured into resigning. And everyone says, well, Halifax should take over. And Halifax says, no, I don't want to do it. So the only person who's going to be able to get a coalition that will get the whole whole parliament behind him is Churchill. And no one really likes him, certainly not in his own party. Mm. Um, so the film uh, basically portrays this as a sort of... he's He is the right man for the job, but no one really agrees with that right now. He has to fight his way into being accepted. Let's clarify that a bit, because yeah. actually it's not in his own party that people don't like him. You get the sense that... It's in his government, and his government is a coalition government. Yeah, okay. Uh, so it's made up of people who are not inside his party, thus the whole white handkerchief signaling mm. of whether to approve or applaud or not. Um, but yeah, but in general, that's right, right? So basically... And actually, it's not... What, what I was... The other thing I was wrong about just there is uh, it's not about being accepted, but it's about proving that his way of doing things is right. Um, there's, this, there's this large... Uh, sort of impetus to make a deal with Hitler, uh, that, that he'll leave us alone. If we'll give him continental Europe and he'll leave us alone, then we can make a deal of that mm. sort. Um, and Churchill's whole thing is, you've got to fight this. Yes. There's no there's no way... You, well, there's a line from the trailer, actually, which is quite a good line. Um, you can't reason with a tiger when your head is in his mouth. Yes, that's right. That is a good line. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I actually thought that in some ways it was very well done. Um, I love the look of it. It feels very stark and minimalist and kind of brown, white, black. It's like, I don't know, a combination of a Rubens painting and an old photograph, right? Mm. (laughs) Uh, But done very simply and starkly in a way that foregrounds people, right? So I did like that very much, actually. I I, I love the look of it. Um, And I adore Kristen Scott Thomas' performance of Clement. Yeah, Clementine Churchill. Mm. I thought, you know, she was she was wonderful. Uh, I mean, you know, she's got this incredibly light body for her age, yet she looks her age. You know, yet, um, you know, she's she's extremely elegant uh, and also kind of very loving. And I thought the relationship between her uh, and, and uh, Winston Churchill was wonderful. And uh, and and she stood out for me because. I thought, well, Gary Oldman is, is wonderful as well in his own way, you know, but he's obviously wearing so much makeup, right, and prosthetics that, you know, he's building a performance with externals, whereas her, it seemed just so simple and elegant and transparent, right? She really makes an impression mm. out of very little, 
really. Whereas, of course, you know, he's the central character. So, but I love them both, actually. Uh, and, of course, you, you pointed out to me that the king was played by Ben Mendelsohn, whom I thought was, was, was one marvelous, really, and unrecognizable. You know, Mendelssohn, you know, I, what I remember mo him most as, really, is like stick thin drug addicts, really. So um, <laughs> he's got a heft in this role, right? Which actually one doesn't normally associate with the king. I, actually, I, I'm very, I was very happy to see the king depicted as a person of substance and not just, you know, some wobbly yeah. kind of not too bright person you know, who uh, uh, just uh, got out of Churchill's way. Um, I think he might... Um, I think Ben Mendelsohn has probably been in more stuff than you remember. I'm just going to have a quick look and see. Um, because it's... Um, although I know what you mean, he was he was certainly a, a kind of wiry, mad drug addict in um, Killing Them Softly. Yes. Uh, which is probably what you mainly remember him from. He's great in that. But also... The Place in Beyond the Pines. The Place Dark Beyond Night. the Pines, he plays a similar character. Yeah. The Dark Knight Rises, starred up. He's the dad in starred up. Right. Um, who is a criminal, but not a kind of drug addled. <laughs> well, but the look is kind of the same, really. I, I've seen starred up as well. He's in Exodus, Gods and Kings, which is a great film, but no one admits it. Um, he's in loads of stuff. But, he, but I, I, he's, he's, he's more... He's, he's got a lot more variety. I don't. In other words, it wasn't a surprise to me to see him portraying the king in this way because I didn't come with the bag with with the sort of I didn't have the impression from beforehand that well he's just this sort of guy okay well as you know I just didn't even recognise him you know? well yeah I thought he was very good and it's not and he's not in 200 pounds of makeup he is no. just Ben Mendelsohn <laughs> yeah and actually I asked you who you know who was Ben Mendelsohn you saw the credit at the end and I said it's the king right oh really exactly yeah so, so I didn't recognise him until the credits Names came and faces you can't remember now. No, no, no. I'm very good with faces. <laughs> that's that's kind of my only anchor. I know I'm not getting dementia because, you know, kind of my ideas are shaped and I recognise faces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Gary Oldman is very good. Um, I, I think you and I both have a slightly shaky relationship with him it's, we're, not, we're not sure I don't he, like him well yeah so let's be clear I like him more than you do but yes. he, he's just one of these guys who can leave me cold sometimes or it's like like he has a kind of reputation for being a chameleon of an actor yes. he can play just about anything or, or sinks into his roles and actually I think that 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 is his reputation makes you notice it more when you watch him um, I think I find that he's often very skilled so I you know um, I've seen, I've, I think I've seen him from the very beginning, from Prick Up Your Ears and Sid and Nancy and so on, you know, and I've rarely found him less than good, mm. right? Um, but I think it's a fault in an actor that you don't get, you don't get people to like you. And I've never found him charming or appealing or desirable in almost anything, really. I just find him good, right? Like... Uh, uh, and at his best, when he's playing really unappealing, you know, mm. characters. Um, so uh, um, I think it's a it's a lack in an actor that, you know, that, that they can't get people to like them. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, there are actors who who build their careers out of that. Really, I, I guess maybe that's a, maybe that's like a defining uh, characteristic of a character actor, actually. People think character actors as well, they're always the second players, but I think probably the reason that they're second players is because they don't have that 
charisma that gets him to the top. But that's not true because, you know, people like Claude Rains or Ralph Bellamy, you know, the second string people who played supporting parts, really, like, mm. yeah, Claude Rains is the French police official in Casablanca. Um, he's very charming and very likable, you yeah. know. So, um, and I think it's important, you know, particularly when playing, like, the least desirable, you know, or the least appealing characters, you know, for an actor to somehow engage, yeah, make it appealing or at least intriguing or at least something that is human and you can engage with. Yeah, but that's not the same as likeable. That's true, because actually Gary Gary Oldman does do that, you know. I was thinking Um, of someone like uh, Michael... um, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. I think he's the greatest American actor of the moment. I think he's an absolutely fantastic actor, but I don't think he's ever been likeable. Oh, I do. Uh, He was in Mud. I fell asleep in Mud. My God, that's a great film. Well, I was tired. Yeah, well, that's no excuse. <laughs> you should have stayed up. Cinema, tr- yeah, but, well, it, I was tired, and it was a big, dark cinema, and nothing happened. It's a great film. Okay. I think I saw that, like, four or five times, actually. Okay. And he's very appealing in that, you know, as, like, a sex kind of, you know, maniac. All right, I'll have guy. to give it another go. Um, he, can, he can be charming. Um, so There are... There are, there are things about Darkest Hour and, and with Gary Oldman's performance that um, I think the technique is very often on display, both with the performance and with the direction. I think, uh, I, think I, no- that I notice so often the camera is constantly doing this left to right or right to left tracking mm. um, that's like, it helps you go between, you move between rooms and you follow characters as they go from room to room in this, in this kind of underground mm. kind of war uh, offices. Um, but it's also like you get this kind of peeking behind things or it just helps the camera sort of reframe and it's sort of it's kind of elegant but at the same time it's really noticeable and actually I don't it, I noticed it to the point where I felt it was to its detriment like I was noticing this technique um, or this style mm. to the point where it was no longer adding anything mm. to my experience weirdly um, yes I don't know I mean I you know people are really down on Joe Wright um I mean, myself, basically, I, I think he first made a good impression in his Anna Karenina, right? Which was extremely theatrical, you know, mm. uh, uh, really, really beautiful, unafraid of glamour, you know, and with fantastic performances, uh, you know, particularly from Jude Law. Uh, I love that. Um, if that's your first good impression of him, he's made a number of films before that. I know, yeah. I know, that's the problem, but name them and I'll tell you. Uh, Atonement, Atonement was the big one. And I remember practically nothing about it except Kieran Knightley looking gorgeous. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice? I must have seen that, but you know, there's so many versions, I can't tell one from the other. <laughs> uh, the Soloist and Hannah were the other two before Anna Karenina. What's Hannah? Hannah. I uh, loved Hannah. That's what Sorsi 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 Ronan. Sorsi Ronan. Yes, I love that. Uh, uh, and and Banna, the Australian actor. Yeah, and it's like a bit of an action film. Mm. Yes, no, that I loved. You see. And then the so, other one he's done is Pan in twenty fifteen. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Yeah. So I think actually he's getting short shrift from 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 people because that's a very respectable filmography. Mm. And actually, I do think that this film is kind of, it's special in a way. It feels like a chamber piece about history. 
right? So, you know, the characters are always in focus, right? Uh, the background, you get the sense of the social background, but actually it's done very minimalist. Mm. The Houses of Parliament, you know, a tube, right? Offices, mm. yeah? But you, you, you come out of the cinema having a, pic, having a picture in your head of the look of the film, and the look of that film fits the somber, the somber mood. Yeah, you know? I, I agree with that. And I think, I think the narrow focus of the story, that it takes place over these very few weeks where it's basically it's, it's Churchill's appointment or acceptance of the post of Prime Minister up to uh, his speech, um, Fight Him on the Beaches. And, yes. and, and, and the film takes place over... Dunkirk. Yes. Um, that kind of narrow focus helps the film. Yes. It's not trying to. It's not trying to make this kind of large story. It's not the life of Churchill. It's a kind of defining few moments in the life of Churchill. Yes. And and actually the the war effort. I mean, it was. You really get the feeling that this is the entire thing, the entire war, and basically future of the world hinges on whether Churchill can get people to agree with him. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yes. Like, actually, it, it, whereas, you know, obviously we had Dunkirk last year, the, the Nolan film, um, which gave you this kind of life or death uh, feeling, just that the actual people on the beach and it just being about survival, which is incredibly impactful. And then this, on the other hand, shows you, it basically shows you almost nothing of Dunkirk. Nothing. The, the battles, you get a, couple it on a of, map. Yeah, you get a map and, and one or two kind of montage type shots yeah. um, but it's all taking place uh, politically um, and and so the feeling is very different it's it's about but what is it, the the ultimate what, what it conveys is ultimately the same which is that feeling of a life or death scenario and everything hinging on 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 a, a single beach mm. um but it's you know there's a different perspective on it. I think that's actually quite interesting. It's, it, I mean, I bet there's a supercut. You know, I bet you could take these two films and cut them in together and probably make like a four-hour film. It's actually quite coherent. Well, you couldn't do that because they have such different looks. Um, I don't think they do. They're both basically everything no, is they basically. Do. Ta- I everything's mean, really taken know, off. What, what, what do you think is the palette of Dunkirk? Come on, light green. Well, I would have said light blue. Okay. You know, and grey blue. And this is all like amber and brown. But it's all washed out like Saving Private Ryan in the end uh, of the day. Uh, 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 they, they all try and make these films look like old film reels, don't they? It looks beautiful. Uh, anyway. I mean, I think basically, you see, the only thing that really disturbed me about the film, which is a major, major reservation, you know, is that on the one hand, it's appealing to your emotions. My emotions at least responded, right? Like... Uh, you know, you're being manipulated, like the scene in the tube where the, he, Churchill goes and asks ordinary people, would you surrender? It's incredibly cheap and manipulative. But on the other hand, you know, you find yourself responding to its jingoism. So, you know, I agree. That uh, was on my mind, that scene in the tube. Yeah. As I was watching it, I thought, I know what this is doing, yeah. you bastards. And still, I was enjoying it. Actually, there's, there's, there is great joy in seeing Oldman's Churchill interacting with people. Yes. Um, uh, I think I think that's what kind of shows it to be a good character, is that he basically whenever he's talking, whenever he's on screen, it's interesting. And when he's on the tube talking to... This is, this is when I was thinking about Nigel Farage as well. I was thinking, this is what Nigel Farage wants to be. Yes. He wants to be someone who can get on the tube and talk to people and rouse them. Yes. And not have them think he's a prick. Yes. Um and this Churchill is, you know, he gets on the tube and he's charming yes. and he's funny and he talks to people who remembers all their names. Yes. And you go, I know what you're doing, 
this version of Churchill you're building. I know. I mean, the th- so... But I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it. I would have enjoyed it more had it not been such a clearly Brexit film. <laughs> it le- I mean, it may not be. I mean, I don't know whether the, you know, the filmmakers intended it or not, you know, uh, but it comes across as almost like a premier argument, an emotional argument for Brexit. I, you know, you're constantly being talked of as a, as a, as an island nation, they will never, you know, we will never surrender, <laughs> like against those Europeans, you know. And if we do, you know, we will call on, you know, the new countries, you know, blah, blah, blah right? Which, you know, which is equivalent to saying we can do business with Australia, <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's just, you know, so, like, I, it just makes me uncomfortable, you know. So on the one hand, I think it's very, it's, it's very pretty... I think the performances are wonderful. I think that kind of cheap jingoism is disturbing. Not the least that I always find it disturbing to find a film that specifically addresses a national context and asks its audience to agree with the notion, weren't we great? <laughs> right? That's what it's doing. I mean, I kind of, I grew up with those Spanish films about the greatness of empire. And they were all fascist. And, you know, that kind of mm. discomfort at that being bandied around is... It's something to be very suspicious of. Yes, indeed. A, a, a Doug Stanhope, the comedian, has this line, he's an American comedian, and he has this line about nationalism where he says, um, nationalism teaches you to hate people you've never met and to take pride in achievements that you had nothing to do with. Mm. Which I think is pretty good. Exactly. And this film, I think, is, is along those lines. It is. Um, more, more, more of the pride in the accomplishments than the hatred of the other people but it does have plenty of you know just yeah. you just know that the Nazis are the baddies and mm. I mean which they were but yes but um, nonetheless there's a kind of there's a kind of uncritical sort of look basically anyone who tried anyone who would have tried to oppose Churchill is a villain in this Yes, I must say, you know, that as a Canadian, I also find it incredibly upsetting and offensive when you have these films about how Britain did it alone that don't mention, you know, uh, Canadian and Australian contributions, really, in terms of both men and women and just money <laughs> and resources, right? This idea that you did it all alone, it but that, pisses but, me off. But the film does, although from... Um, I know what you mean. And you were, when we went to um, when we went to Europe last summer, you were whining about it. And then we got to North France and there was just Canadian flags everywhere. <laughs> like, well, there you go. Then. <laughs> well, um, but, but there but the you film, go. France acknowledges it in a way that England never but there, does. But there's a central... <laughs> But there's a central part of this film where he's on the phone to uh, Roosevelt in the US and Roosevelt's saying, well, we can maybe spare you a few planes if you can drag them across the borders, Canada, but we've got all these acts in place that mean we can't help you out because we're yeah. neutral now. And so the, the film um, the, the film is saying, no, we really did need help. Yes. Because Churchill, in fact, but... and the way it's shot, the, 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 Churchill is isolated in basically this phone booth almost, and, and there are huge black borders off to the side. It isolates yeah. him completely. But, but still, the main reading of the film is that you did do it alone. So, you know, kind of Roosevelt helped a little bit, right? Though he couldn't, though his hands were tied, but, you know, he did what he could. Mm. And what he did is 
he made planes available across the Canadian border so they could be brought to Canada by horses. You know, but the, the overall impression of the film is that, you know, this darkest hour is kind of one that, you know, yeah. uh, Britain got through on its own. And it's just simply not true. And it pisses me off. And it pisses me off because it goes back into this jingoism, you know. So you did it alone and you're proud of having done it alone. And A, it's just not true. And B, you know, kind of firing that kind of jingoism, you know, on 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 a basis of incorrect facts is also dangerous. Yeah, that's fair enough. I did Churchill ever get a tube in real life? Uh, a tube train? Did he did this ever happen? Like uh, how the, the fact that there is something so clearly fabricated unless I am really wrong and and this tube scene is related to real life. Real life. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it did, right? Yes. Um but the fact that there is something so clearly fabricated I think is damaging actually to the film in insofar as it's it's portraying itself as a historical drama, not a historical fantasy. Mm. I mean like you know, I remember I remember my friend Sam really hated Inglorious Bastards, the uh, Tarantino film about World War Two, because he said this is all just silly. Like they didn't have these band of people, and Hitler didn't die, and all what's all this? And and I said, well, but the start of the film, like the first thing you see in that film, is the phrase "Once upon a time in in Nazi occupied France," and it turns out that my friend had missed that. He walked in five seconds too late, mm. and when I told him that, he was like, oh, "Okay, that's fine, I get it now. Like it's a fantasy." And I think. That in in darkest hour you're sort of you're being shown stuff which is clearly invented just to try and rouse the passions and sell something about Churchill and about about the British character, but in the context of something which is supposed to be historically accurate or you mm. you would imagine is trying to be historically accurate, I think that damages the rest of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wish they'd made another film about. You know the the relationship between Winston and Clementine Churchill because I would love to see that. I read their 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 letters. There's a volume of their letters, you know, and it's just so um, they're just so loving, really, and so kind of mutually supportive and so tender and and knowing. Uh, and I think the interplay between uh, Gary Oldman and Kristen Scott Thompson really captured Thomas that. Thomas mm-hmm. uh, really captured that. You know, and to me, it's kind of like the strength of the film, right? Uh, and it's one of uh, Joe Wright's strengths as a director. He gets really great performances from actors. You know, and the films are always kind of worth seeing uh, because of that. And actually, you know, that's interesting because, you know, in a way, he's nowhere near uh, cinematically inventive, you know, like you were talking about Dunkirk. The films bear no comparison, in my view, mm. um, a cinema, right? But, you know, the ability to kind of create a memorable look like this film and to get actors like these, you know, performances like these out of actors, it is really kind of a very considerable achievement. And the film also succeeds in rousing people, which is in its own kind of achievement. So actually, I also think it does so cheaply, really, you know. Well, I'm, cheaply, I, I, I found that the end was not rousing at all, where it really should have been. Uh-huh. The final, the, the end is is the where he's giving the uh, fight them on the beaches speech, mm. and you think that this is the film. I mean, it's actually that that speech is undercut in Dunkirk brilliantly. Mm. Um, you think a film like this would be one where it's it's trying to build up the passions, and I think it is. 
It's saying, you know, we're all fighting on the beaches and Churchill is great and we're going to win this bloody thing. Um, and everyone's waving the papers and, and supporting him mm. in Parliament. And, and I'm going, why does this feel so flat? Uh, um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I'd be curious because when I, I do know what you mean. And I kind of wondered if part of it was because Gary Oldman was doing line readings that you don't remember from the speech, right? And mm. kind of was spacing it out differently. So I didn't know whether, you know, I don't remember. I've heard the, you know, the speech many times, mm. you know, and I just don't know if I'm misremembering the speech and maybe kind of Churchill gave the same kind of emphasis and, uh, and so on. And it just, you know, it's it did, flatter than we remember it. It didn't or, sound so familiar to me. Uh, in comparison to the actual speech, but I think I think the film, as we've established, is taking so many liberties that it, if it wants to rouse passions, it should be doing what it wants. I think it is. Yes, um, I don't know. Um, I, I, you know, I did find it. I did find it satisfying. Okay. Um, and and really, kind of, we we stayed watching the credits much longer than I normally do, anyway. You know, and when I stood up and looked back the cinema was still full of people sitting down in their seats. You know, so clearly they found it a very satisfying experience, I think. Well, to be fair, the only reason that I stayed in my seat was because you did. Like, I, you normally bugger off straight away. Yes. And I hang around for a bit. But I just... It, it was, I, I wasn't still sat there because I felt overwhelmed or anything like that. Well, but the audience, you know, yeah. kind of... Normally we sit longer than the audience does. And this time when we stood up, the audience was still sitting. It reminded me, actually, the end and, and, and the audience, because the audience was... Can we say largely older people? Yes. It's quite full. Largely older people. I imagine a few Brexit voters. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, it, and the very end reminded me of a comment that I saw. It, it, was the, it was the Guardian's review of Dunkirk, I think. And there was a comment underneath it that said, the ending was rubbish. The ending of Dunkirk, uh, this is a slight spoiler, I guess, um, is uh, your main character, uh, I think Finn Whitehead is the actor, is come come back and he's sat on the train and they've just been through this terrible ordeal that you as an audience member have sat through this emotional kind of wreckage mm. um, and they've just survived barely that's all it is it's not a victory it's a survival mm. uh, and they they get a newspaper and the newspaper has Churchill's speech the fight them on the beach's speech and it's read out by Tommy who's still kind of pretty shell shocked really and so it's this it's this underwhelming reading it's not read as this as this great speech that will stand for all time. It's just read out as words on a newspaper page. Mm. Um, and I saw this comment on the Guardian website that was from someone who basically missed the point completely, saying what they should have done was have him read that and then have it fade into Churchill's actual recording of the speech. And it's mm. like, that's, that's completely the wrong thing to do. But I kind of, I felt like this is, that's actually what the end of this film was trying to do, mm. in a way. Get that, get at that, you know, that, that, that national passion mm. of this is Churchill saying the speech that we love him for. Mm. And that's why it felt so flat. Well, that's why it was disappointing that it felt so flat. Yes. Um, anyway, I can see what you mean. I think I also uh, just want to single out Lily James. Mm. Yeah, who plays uh, Churchill's secretary. Yeah, yeah, his new secretary type. Yeah. Um, who I found, you know, kind of just very, very effective, uh, uh, very pretty... Uh, and you know, kind of plays very well. I think there's a moment between. Them. In fact, this is one one thing that did remain on, remain on my mind for the last day. Um, 
which is that the film is very talky uh, and and makes a lot of Churchill's wit and an ability to fight with people verbally. Um, and there's a moment where he's dictating uh, a letter or a memorandum or speech to uh, to his secretary, and it's just the two of them in the room, in these war rooms underground, and he just starts becoming kind of overwhelmed with with the stress mm. and and mumbling to himself and imagining things and um she stops taking dictation because he's just mumbling to himself and and then he so he's kind of the whole film basically slows down at this point mm. and becomes sort of insular and it's just between these two who have not really they've had a relationship up to this point but she's just his employee he sees this photo on a desk and it's of her brother and he's died at Dunkirk mm. uh, in the past week or so and he just sits down and there's a moment between them and through all their makeup mm. their eyes connect yes. and no one says anything and the film holds it for a really long time mm. and that I found really touching yes I think that's a wonderful moment yes I think so too and it's in contrast with everything else in the film because the rest of the film is so active one of the main themes of the theme of the film that I want to mention before we finish before we wrap up is that it's a line that you know the king says, you know, uh, we want we want you know we want you to lead, not mislead, right? And I think one of the things that the film kind of works through is the importance of telling pe- people what's going on, of including them in the picture, of yeah, mm. kind of you know, uh, uh, so not panicking them or not scaring people, but actually kind of being honest with people, right? Uh, and I thought that, in its in its way, was also kind of very timely, and also maybe a message that's in tension with, you know, the emotional appeal of the film that feels very Brexity. Mm. I think ultimately it's a film that I actually did enjoy, sort of despite myself at times. Like I could see what it was doing, and I could see the the the, the, the cogs turning. Um, but there are there are genuinely good things about it, such as, as you say, he gets uh, Joe Wright gets very good performances out of his actors, yeah. and that the film is based largely on seeing these characters interact in interesting ways. I think that um, and, and and talk. That's a strength. Um, I wasn't thrilled with the way it looked, to be honest. Not as much as yeah. you did, but I, but I just felt I to me it felt kind of. Like I had seen it done, looking that way. But that's—I don't on think that's TV? its main strength. No, not on TV in in film. I just—it uh, didn't surprise me, really. It felt appropriate, but it didn't—it didn't kind of thrill me or surprise me the way it looked. But um, uh, I love the way it looked. I must but then say. I also was thinking, like, imagine if like Tom Hooper had done this. Would have been fucking awful. <laughs> so, you know, at least got, at least at least Joe Wright can like use a shot where it's appropriate. You yes. Know what I mean? Um. So I don't really have anything against that, and I think you picked out some some interesting things about the strengths of his direction. Mm. Um. But yeah, it's interesting. Like I I I think it's an enjoyable film. It's a film I could watch twice. Mm. I wouldn't go back to cinema to see it again, but I could watch it on TV. And I think that you know the, the way that the scenes are written and the characters interact is it captured me. You know. Yes. And I could watch it again, sort of despite myself and despite knowing what's going on underneath the surface and being quite, finding that a little bit distasteful. Hmm. It's nice to see Kristen Scott Thomas in a British film again. Well, we saw her in The Party. That's true, which I hated. 
um, but you know she tends to work in French cinema, and mm. actually, I think she is really glorious as Clementine Churchill. Some people just prefer Paris, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. All right. So on that note, I think kind of you know we recommend it really. You know, uh, with guardedly. Yeah, guardedly recommend it. Right. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he's already regretting <laughs> the recommendation. This is one of those. Um, I feel like this is one of those where I had a I had a worse time in the cinema that than I'm having now. Do you know what I mean? Remember when we saw like Home Again and that and a, uh, a few films where it's like I had such an awful time in the cinema, but then talking about it, and I was like, oh, this is quite good. Uh, well, I, I had a good time. I think this cinema. is a little bit like that, but I did, but I did enjoy it, and I did enjoy seeing Gary Oldman in all that makeup, being kind of charismatic and brash and centre of attention and that sort of thing. Like okay. there are pleasures in this film. Good, but it is all for pensioners. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs>